0: Welcome back to 10 Blocks, the podcast of City Journal. This is your host for today, Seth Barron, Associate Editor for City Journal. Jacob Howland is McFarland Professor of Philosophy and past Chair of the Department of Philosophy and Religion at the University of Tulsa. His recent piece for City Journal, Storm Clouds Over Tulsa, addresses turmoil at the university where he has taught for many years. My conversation with Jacob Howland begins after the music. Thanks for joining us, Jacob. Thank you. So tell us about the University of Tulsa, its reputation and its mission, historically.
1: Well, uh, I've been here since 1988. And when I came, uh, uh, the previous provost who actually left uh, just before I arrived in the fall of 88, had hired some serious scholars, um, particularly in uh, the humanities. So my colleague, Paul Ray, uh, the eminent ancient historian, uh, arrived, I think in 83, something like this. The English department was outstanding. We had a superb department, uh, or sort of collection of scholars who did political theory. Uh, it was a vibrant place. We you know, audited each other's courses. We read books together like the Gulag archipelago and, you know, spirit of the laws by Montesquieu and so forth. Um, and, uh, we had a very reasonable teaching load. It was three, two uh, and that allowed for a very nice combination of teaching and research. Um, And, and for the last 30 years, I have really had outstanding students in particular in an excellent great books program called the honors program. Um, I think it's really one of the best in the country. And um, uh, you know, our students have gone on to do wonderful things. Actually one named uh, uh, her name is, excuse me, Her name is Jennifer Croft, and she uh, won the Man Booker Prize. She entered T U at 15 uh, in the late 90s, and went through the Honors Program and studied Russian. Won the Man Booker Prize last year for translating a Polish novel hmm. into English. So, um, you know, it's uh, we've just had wonderful philosophy students, wonderful religion students, and um, it's been a great place for me to work. My teaching feeds my research, and vice versa. Um, so I've been very happy up to this point,
0: so, what has happened recently at the school that provoked you to come forward and write the article that you wrote for us? and uh, you know, what's the controversy?
1: Well, the controversy is that we got a new administration, uh, a new president, oh, probably three years ago, and a new provost last year. And they have radically transformed the school. Um, the president uh, is a kind of uh, touchy-feely therapist. He's an MD in psychiatry. The provost is um, a law professor. She was dean of the law school. And uh, she describes herself as a leader in implicit thought bias, among other things, on her LinkedIn page. Uh, and, and so they have a kind of social justice agenda. And, but what's happened is that they are also... Uh, have combined that agenda with a kind of neoliberal corporatism. And I need to give you a little background here. Um, What's been happening as the the higher education bubble begins to deflate, and by the bubble I mean for many years, colleges and universities have been offering an inferior academic product at highly inflated prices. What's been happening is that schools have been scrambling to try to figure out uh, how to face an uncertain future. And there are educational consultants who have been making a lot of money going around and advising schools essentially to gut the liberal arts and focus on uh, programs, vocational and technical, that will produce graduates who will immediately be able to take jobs. Uh, and, And what we have at the University of Tulsa is a really unholy mixture of this social justice agenda with this corporatism. And so they've come in and... Um, basically uh, treated us like, um, you know, dispensable and exchangeable employees. Um, And uh, when the provost arrived around this time last year, she set up a provost program review committee, uh, basically handpicked the members of the committee. No one was from the humanities or the natural sciences. Frankly, nobody from the liberal arts was on the committee. Uh, And uh, that committee... Uh, They all signed non-disclosure agreements. They all uh, worked with financial data primarily. Um, Several departments, including the Department of Languages, most of the languages were cut entirely, including French. I mean, French and German, you can only take introductory courses now. Chinese, Russian, Greek, Latin, they're gone. Philosophy and religion majors have been eliminated. We're now just a combined minor. Uh, And the list goes on, and many, many graduate programs have been eliminated. They sprung all this stuff on us um and they also by the way besides eliminating programs eliminated departments and, and have dumped us all into divisions for example our our philosophy and religion programs will now be in a division of humanities and social justice oh. uh oh, so okay. um, yeah so what they've done is they fundamentally reorganized the school um, and um, and but but they've done it according to a plan that they seem to have bought off the shelf from consultants and one of the reasons I know this is that I got an email from a fellow at McDaniel College. And he wrote me and he said, Hey, we just read your true commitment plan. That's the name of this reorganization. And you guys plagiarized from us because it's word for word what has been imposed on McDaniel College. And I can tell you that um, uh, the members of the Provost Program Review Committee had to read a book by a guy named uh, W.F. Massey called Reengineering the University, short book. President Clancy made everybody read it, and it includes a statement like this, the root problem at universities is a deeply held commitment to traditional concepts and values. Now, this is really insane uh, because what they have done is they've eliminated theater, art, music, dance, vocal performance, you know, geosciences, they've eliminated PhDs and master's programs in chemistry, physics, mathematics, the list goes on. They eliminated 80 programs, 40% of the programs of the university. But our tuition is $41,698. So what they have done is followed this plan to gut the liberal arts, focus on vocational and technical training, in particular exercise science, nursing, we have a new college of health sciences, business, accounting, finance, these kinds of subjects, and, and applied science, mechanical engineering, and so forth. Uh, but they're charging this extremely high price Um, and they've done it to a university that had a 1.1 billion dollar endowment and was previously ranked uh, in the top 100 of national major research universities in the united states the list that begins with harvard and yale and so forth um and and you know as so what they've done is they've, they've produced this plan which is essentially incoherent because the question that one raises is why would students pay this kind of money when, for example, if you're an Oklahoma student, you can pay in-state tuition and go to Oklahoma University or Oklahoma State Universities, which is our large schools, which have all the programs that we've just cut.
0: So, um, and and what is the comparable tuition to say attend uh, Oklahoma State in state in state tuition?
1: It's a fraction of the cost. I mean, I, I can't give you exact figures, but especially with in-state discounts, you know, you're looking at something, maybe a third uh, of what you might pay, maybe less. Um, now, and, 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 you know, that also doesn't include, by the way, sort of smaller uh, institutions within the state system, like Northeastern State University, which has nursing programs, uh, etc.
0: Sure. Well, it sounds like they're turning an elite liberal arts university into a... Um some kind of vocational community college type school. I mean, is that is that more or less correct?
1: I think that's fair. Uh, the goals they've set for themselves are the sort that a sort of local college of modest aspirations might pursue. Um, and the other thing is that uh, this you know this this process was built as being transparent and ex- inclusive and data driven and it wasn't any of those things okay i can go into details if you like i've talked about it in my city journal article but uh, uh in addition um the the rationale for the cuts has also been incoherent because when these when this radical restructuring was rolled out on april 11th both the president and the provost told the faculty two contradictory things one was the provost said This is a lifeline for us, okay? We're running deficits. This is a lifeline for us. And so we need to make these cuts. On the other hand, uh, the president and the provost both assured us that, guys, don't you worry about the future of TU. We are strong financially. We have a $1.1 billion endowment. And, you know, the editors at City Journal, when I sent my piece in, wrote me and said, we have a little problem here, Professor Holland. We don't understand why a university with a $1.1 billion endowment has to cut these small programs. Well, my brother is an economist. He teaches at Wabash College, and his best buddy teaches at DePauw College in Indiana. And both of them have been looking at the finances of the University of Tulsa which, by the way, are extremely opaque. That's a whole nother thing. Mm-hmm. But they, look, they were able to look at the net assets. They were able to look at the operating deficits. And my brother said, your school is actually in very good shape financially. Your net assets are enormous. Sure, you're running these operating deficits, but you are not imperiled financially.
0: So do you think there's um, – is this informed by an ideological – Um, approach? I mean, is there a sense on the part of the administration that they want the school to be just more relevant?
1: I think that that's part of it. Uh, Earlier, I described it as an unholy alliance of sort of um, therapeutic uh social justice attitudes and the school uses by the way the phrase we're going to be a high touch university okay so one of the things they're doing by the way is expanding the administration they are hiring uh consultants to surround the students with let's see um special counselors health and financial well-being advisors success coaches peer and alumni mentors and career professional development coaches and they're bringing these people in um and uh, they were also, by the way, at this time hiring a brand new vice president of research, uh, purely administrative position. The idea is to help to coordinate research. Incidentally, very little of which will be accomplished because one of the other uh, features of the restructuring is that our three two teaching load will go to four four. Oh, um, yeah. So, um, but that's part of it. But the other thing is, and 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 this is the this is sort of the part of my article, uh, storm clouds over Tulsa, that. I am, in a way, proudest of, but I've only gotten to a certain level. I've kind of drilled down, and what I discovered is a very close nexus of corporate connections. Um, President Jerry Clancy was the uh, chair of the Tulsa Metro Regional Chamber of Commerce in 2011, and at that time, he, he said, you know, publicly, that we need to focus on providing jobs for the corporations that are going to move to Tulsa. His board is composed of some very powerful and influential business people. So, uh, so for example, um, three people on the uh, board of trustees of the University of Tulsa are also um, employed by the Bank of Oklahoma. Um, Clancy works; uh, he, he's on the board of the Bank of Oklahoma. The Bank of Oklahoma is the is the trustee for the major part of the University of Tulsa's endowment. And there's also connections with the George Kaiser Family Foundation. Now, George Kaiser Family Foundation has done some wonderful things for Tulsa. Um, Kaiser spent $400 million to produce um, uh, a a facility called Gathering Place for Tulsa, which is a very beautiful park. Um, He poured $100 million into the Tulsa Arts District, um, which is a vibrant and, and flourishing part of Tulsa that attracts many young people. So, you know, these are all good things. But, but the George Kaiser Family Foundation focuses on um, education of K-12 students, um, focuses on bringing uh, low-cost healthcare to indigent populations, focuses on making the Tulsa economy vibrant. And in the strategic plan that President Jerry Clancy produced when he got here, for 2017 to 2022... Those three focus areas of the Kaiser Foundation were listed as top priorities of the University of Tulsa. Now, why is this important? Because the provost, Janet Levitt, is the wife of the chief executive officer of the George Kaiser Family Foundation, an $8 billion foundation, and the new chairman of the board who came in at the same time as Levitt last year. His name is Frederick Dorward. He is the general counsel to the Bank of Oklahoma, and he is the president of the George Kaiser Family Foundation. Now, why is this relevant? Because not only do the priorities of the new president align with those of the Kaiser Foundation, but the president of the University of Tulsa was previously president of OU Tulsa, which is a a kind of vocational training school. 30% of the courses are online and so forth. But he received $50 million from the George Kaiser Family Foundation to start a college of community medicine at OU Tulsa. So, I put these pieces together and I realized it it can't be a coincidence that Bank of Oklahoma, which is owned 60% by George Kaiser, and Kaiser Foundation are so closely intertwined. And what I realized is that some kind of deal was made at the highest levels of wealthy and powerful individuals in Tulsa. And that deal is what is driving the transformations at the university. But, you know, it's kind of like. It's kind of like drilling into the earth. You know, you want to get to the center of the earth, let's say, and all I've gotten into is beyond the crust because I don't I'm not I wasn't in those back rooms. I can't quite figure out what the deal is, but I am very confident, as are my colleagues, that some deal was made and the whole review process, provost program review and everything. This was a done deal. Um, and, and it was just shoved down our throat It took everybody by total surprise, except me, because, I mean, I should, maybe there were a few others who saw the writing on the wall, but, you know, I was preparing my article for months so that it was ready to go when these things were announced.
0: Well, you know, Jacob, you, you can only drill so deep before your drill bit melts. So, you know, be careful. That's right. Um, That's right. so, but I mean, in your article, you talk about how, uh, you know, there, there is a perspective and there are, predictions that the bubble is going to burst and that as many as half of all American colleges may have to fold. So, I mean, this being the case, you know, and just to play the devil's advocate, isn't University of Tulsa just playing a a smart long game by trying to, uh, you know, adapt itself to the marketplace and um, make itself relevant to uh, students who, you know, in the future... Will have a you know a lot of options and may want to uh, you know get a job get a get a college education that's going to uh, help them get a job.
1: That's a good question, and first of all, you know I do think that the university has has got to adapt itself to the marketplace. I do think that some changes perhaps have to be made. One thing, by the way, we haven't mentioned is athletics. <laughs> and um, athletics last year, the uh, expenses for athletics exceeded revenues by 14.7 million dollars hmm. they're not touching uh athletics okay um but they are destroying you know vocal performance musical theater instrumental music and things like this oh and it, you know actually on that subject by the way who's going to fill who, you know who who is going to uh who are going to be the performers and artists who are going to go to the tulsa, tulsa arts district that have been built up but let me set that aside for a minute. Um, so I agree in general with adapting. Now, a sensible process would be for the recommendations of the provost review committee to have been submitted to the campus community for discussion and comment. Uh, they weren't. Um, among other things, the review committee generated data that was you know, erroneous, prejudicially constructed, incorrect, uh, and didn't even look at academic data whatsoever for for a number of the programs that they eliminated. Uh, But let me say something else, okay? Yes, we need schools that provide workers who are job-ready, who can take their place in the economy. But why does it have to be a major research university with a $1.1 billion endowment? One of the things that we've been able to do here, and I mentioned our honors program, okay, and it really is one of the best programs of its sort in the country, is that we are the kind of institution that actually continues to educate people in the liberal arts to maintain the precious cultural tradition which after all it has been the mission of a university for 800 years right since universities were founded to preserve cultivate and transmit right this tradition of knowledge so i have a couple of names for you right uh, these are some of our founding fathers alexander hamilton You know, he's a poor boy. He grows up on the island of Nevis. He's super smart, takes over his trading business at 13 or 14. The kid has basically two books. One is Livy and the History of Roman Republicanism, the other is Plutarch's Lives or Jefferson. Now, Jefferson, I mean, at our university now, the president has said we're a STEM university science, technology, education, and mathematics. Heck, Jefferson shown in that area. I mean, you go to Monticello, look at the inventions, look at the cool clocks, the dumbwaiters and all these things that he invented. But the other thing that he had is a massive library. 6,500 books were donated. To, that became the Library of Congress. Or take somebody like Lincoln. You know, This guy didn't go to a university. He studied Shakespeare. He studied the Bible. He studied the Greeks. He learned how to speak. He learned how to think. And what I tell people who today say, why do we need the liberal arts, right? My response is well, you know, we're in very difficult times in our country politically. Would you think that it might be useful to have a Hamilton, the best secretary of the treasury we've we've ever had, a Lincoln, a Jefferson? Who's going to produce those kinds of thinkers if 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 a, if a major university like ours isn't?
0: Listen, I appreciate your stirring defense of the liberal arts. Uh, trust me. So what kind of um pushback have you gotten since your article? Uh, And another thing, aren't there students currently uh, engaged in a course of study who are maybe a little perturbed that all of a sudden their major has gone away?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, it was very interesting. Um, I initially published or wrote this article. It was a longer version. City Journal published it, you know, maybe 60% of what I had initially written. And And on Thursday afternoon... Uh, April 11th, these cuts were announced and I decided I got to do something about this. So I took the article and I wrote an email and I said, guys, read this and come to a meeting tomorrow at the languages department. Okay. The languages department, you know, was going to have this little meeting. I sent it to about 50 faculty. I sent it to about 500 students through the honors program. Next day I show up, 400 people are there. We moved next door to the theater. And we organize, you know, I, I lead this meeting of, 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 I mean, it's, it's absolutely grassroots. No one knows what's going on, but we decide there. We need a central place to organize. We need, so what happened is that the students began demonstrations. Um, the students assembly, undergraduate assembly voted no confidence in the restructuring. The graduate student assembly voted no confidence in the, in the restructuring. The law school voted not to implement certain elements of the restructuring, such as the four four courses next year. The College of Arts and Sciences voted uh, that uh, we simply would not implement any of the changes in the coming year, pending the creation of a task force selected by our faculty and composed by the college faculty. Uh, The administration has pushed back. Um, One of the things they did last week is they cut off my email for about three hours. Oh, wow. Uh, I was cold, cold, done, it was gone. Okay. And they did the same thing to the chair of theater last week. And in both cases, they said they gave contradictory explanations, in my case, for example. Uh, And and I was really freaked out. Um, And uh, so I contacted a number of people to contact IT. And the IT guy said, "Eh, it was a server problem. And then another IT guy said, well, you were sending so many emails, we thought it was spam. Now, you know, these may be correct explanations, but it seems a little convenient that uh, that you know, a sort of leader in the Department of Philosophy and Religion, who's been pressing against the administration, and the chair of theater, who's also been very active, then we lost our emails. Hmm. Another thing they did, another thing they did, is that I was asked by uh, KWGS, which is our college station, to come and give an interview, presenting, you know, the faculty's opposition and the student opposition to the restructuring plan. The administration said, that's fine, but we have to be able to have a counter statement, okay? So my interview was recorded, their interview was recorded, and they insisted that both these be played, both sides. And just before it was to air, they informed the relevant person at KWGS that they were withdrawing their interview, thereby silencing me. I could not speak to the audience. And by the way, this is an NPR affiliate. This is the, you know, we're doing this national presser, I mean George Peterson tweeted out my article, you know, it's in National Review linked to it, real clear politics, instapund, it's been great. But our most important audience are people in Tulsa. And these people can be told important things like, Hey, the university says it's committed to diversity. But here is a black female student in the PhD program in anthropology, which has been cut who stands up and says, my specialty is the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921. I guess the university doesn't care about it. Or Native American students who are in the Masters in Jurisprudence in Indigenous Law. And they stand up and they say, "I guess the university, which was founded as a a school for Indian girls in 1882, and which stands on land taken from Native Americans, I guess you don't care about Native Americans." So these guys are hypocrites, you know. They talk about diversity and so forth, but what they are doing is simply imposing this ideological agenda and worse, this corporatism on us, and and and. I think one of the reasons that my article has gotten so much play is that the same things are happening across the country. And, and, and people are very, very worried. And I have to tell you, I've been very proud that we have survived, that traditional education has survived at this university, not widespread through the college, but in our honors program, in our philosophy program, in our religion program, and in a couple of other programs like languages. And now they're just getting rid of them. They're just clear-cutting the place.
0: Well, you know the um, what you call the unholy alliance of um, you know the, the corporatist model plus the social justice diversity agenda. They they seem to align in uh, in a lot of aspects of American life. Um, Jacob, I so appreciate you coming on the show uh, and uh, telling us what's going on at the University of Tulsa. I'd really like to uh, say thank you on behalf oh. of everyone at City Journal and uh, all our listeners.
1: Well, I I very much appreciate the opportunity for you you to give me a voice and to to give you more information about this. Thank you, Seth. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks a lot for coming on. We would love to hear your comments about today's episode on Twitter at City Journal, hashtag 10blocks. Lastly, if you liked our show and want to hear more of it, please leave ratings and reviews on iTunes. This is your host, Seth Barron.